Welcome back to the Health Call Radio Hour. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just drop us a line on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live. Or message us on the Health Call Facebook page. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. What do you think is the most important part of the day for the most important part of your body? It's probably not what you think. Thanks for joining us here on Health Call Radio Hour. Let's spend a few minutes looking into what's going on in your noggin after your head hits the pillow. You may think your brain is taking a break while you sleep, and in some ways it is. But there's also a lot of repair and restoration work underway, and all too often, those important moments are interrupted by sleep disturbances. Dr. Seema Kosla is a medical doctor and spokeswoman for the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. She says many of us go through life at less than our best because, well, we've got no clue that the important phases of sleep are being disturbed. And you might think that how you feel is just your version of normal, even though it's far from normal. Dr. Kosla says when that happens to you, your body could be paying the price. You know, it's funny. Sleep is one of these areas that we really do consider to be the third pillar of health. So we have nutrition, we have exercise, and we have sleep. There's a lot that goes on in our sleep. Sleep is very important for restoration. And if you don't get enough sleep, that impacts our mood, it impacts our memory. And so it's a lot more significant, I think, than people recognize you know, we're all very good at recognizing acute sleep deprivation. You're up all night with the baby, you are on call, something like that. But we're, you know, so then we get that we are sleep deprived, right? We're not as good though at recognizing chronic sleep deprivation. So the people who get maybe six hours of sleep a night and who feel relatively okay, and that's the group I think that we really need to pay attention to. Oh, good place to start. So uh, how do I know what's going on in my sleep? Other than a sleep study, are there some clues that I should be paying attention to that I'm really not getting the sleep I need? You know, what's so funny is I think, you know, we love all of this technology. And I think our natural instinct is to buy something, right, to tell us about our sleep. And sometimes we just go back to the free stuff. So how do you feel in the morning? Are you rested when you wake up? Can you make it through your day? Are you yawning? Are you inattentive, right? So we just bring it back to the clinical part. And the important distinction is, let's say you're getting adequate hours of sleep, right? You're hitting your seven to nine recommended hours, but you're still tired. That's when we really have our antenna up to say, well, could there be an underlying sleep disorder here? Ah, and sleep disorders come in a lot of different shapes, sizes, and forms. So let's focus on just a couple of things, arousals and awakenings. What's the difference and, and what do I need to understand? So an arousal is just a shift in the EEG. So when we do overnight sleep studies, they're called polysomnographies, we do a lot of measurements. So we look at your brain waves, we look at your heart and your lung and your breathing and your oxygen and, and that sort of thing. When we're looking at those brain waves, we look at everything 30 seconds at a time. But then sometimes within that 30 seconds, there's a three second shift 
in your EEG where it looks like you're trying to wake up. That's called an arousal. And so you often will go back to sleep and you may not even recognize that something has happened versus an awakening is that same sort of thing. You have that shift in your EEG, but you do then wake up. So it's, it's bigger, it's longer, and more people will remember those. So uh, an arousal, uh, does that interrupt the restorative quality of sleep? And what's normal versus yeah. what's a problem? You know, it's okay to have an arousal here and there right? None of us sleep perfectly. You know, we don't all read the book and, and follow our sleep the way that the book says that we should sleep. Um, it's when we, our sleep becomes so choppy and so fragmented that we keep waking up and we lose that continuity of our sleep. So our normal sleep will follow what's called a sleep architecture, meaning light sleep, deeper sleep, you know, going into REM and so on and so forth. And you do cycle through the various stages of sleep through the night. If you have a lot of arousals though, oftentimes that doesn't allow you to progress into deeper sleep. And so it's almost like nodding off on a bus, right? Or skipping a stone over sleep where you're really hitting the light stuff and you're not getting the deep stuff. And so then you may be getting your seven to nine hours, but because you're not getting into the deeper levels of sleep, that sleep itself is not restorative. Got it. So it's really about the quality of sleep as opposed to, so it's a dual factor, right? You have to get enough and mm -hmm. it has to be of the right quality. So do we- And the timing. And the, oh, tell me about timing. So when we look at sleep, we assess timing. So are you going to bed at the same time every day? Are you more of a night owl? Are you an early morning person? And does your sleep schedule match that? Duration, like we've talked about, quality, and then regularity. So maybe you're really good about going to bed at 10 o'clock Monday through Friday, but then you stay up late over the weekend and all of a sudden you can't sleep on Sunday night because you've, you're, you're out of your, your regular rhythm, right? And so then your brain's not ready to go to bed Sunday night at maybe 10 o'clock at night because you've already been staying up until midnight or one on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I've heard that referred to as sleep hygiene. You want to be very mm -hmm. careful and have that regular schedule seven days a week. Your body depends on mm -hmm. that. So during the deep phase of sleep, so let's walk through those. The first phase of sleep yeah. is a light sleep. It lasts about 5% of the total time. I understand that. That's when you're just falling to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then you go through and you want to get to deep sleep. What is happening in our brain during deep sleep and why is it so important? So, you know, what's really funny is that um, I think there's this natural implication, especially since we have so much consumer facing sleep technology. The implication is that we should spend our entire night in deep sleep. And that's just not true. And so it's important that we do cycle through lighter sleep. So the sleep that you described, we would call N1 sleep or non-REM stage one. And that's that transition sleep where you're not sure if you're awake or asleep, but then you do go into stage two sleep, which is considered light sleep. But it's really interesting because in the sleep architecture, you know, when we look at the brain waves, you will see these little bundles, they're called spindles. So it's a really tight um, alternation in your EEG. And we think that that might be what actually blocks out sound waves so that you can sleep. And that might be why your own snoring doesn't wake you up. 
And so that's important. And then we cycle through what what we call deep sleep or stage in three non-REM sleep um, stage three. Um, these are where we have these wonderful, deep, long, beautiful, big waves. And so this is our slow wave sleep. This is where we download our short term memory into long term memory. Kids get tons of the sleep. This is where they grow. But then we transition to, to REM sleep. And so REM sleep is our dream sleep. It's where we have these really vivid watching a movie kind of dreams. And, and so it's really important that we hit all of them. So we know that deep sleep or stage N3 sleep is really important for memory, right? REM is important for mood, but some recent data shows us that REM actually helps us organize our memories so that you can fetch them when you need them. So uh, who knew your brain was so busy as you sleep? Studies show there's a link between sleep disturbances and dementia. It is known that people with dementia have deeply altered sleep rhythms, but it's kind of a chicken and egg sort of thing. Did sleep problems contribute to the dementia or are they caused by dementia? No one really knows. We know that in deep sleep, your brain washes away some of the proteins thought to be associated with Alzheimer's. If you're not getting that deep sleep over a period of years, are you putting your cognition at risk? Again, no one knows, but why not take sleep more seriously? Well, how would you do that? Lots of new technology is available to help track your sleep, and I'm sure you know someone who's undergone a sleep study. We'll get into all of that and more as we continue our focus on sleep as powerful medicine here on the Health Call Radio Hour. This is the Health Call Radio Hour, where treatments are always free, the stethoscope is never cold, and you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. We're back, jumping into our deep dive on what makes good sleep good medicine. Your body, your brain, they both crave a good night's sleep. All kinds of hormone regulation, memory management, and other good things happen when you successfully cycle through all the phases of sleep. Millions of Americans go through life struggling to fall asleep. Others, like me, I can fall asleep but then wake up several times at night. Both can be considered sleep disorders, and both can be treated by people like Dr. Seema Kosla. She's from the North Dakota Sleep Center in Fargo and also a spokesperson for the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. They both fall under the umbrella of insomnia, so we would categorize it as sleep onset and meaning difficulty initiating sleep. And then sleep maintenance, insomnia, meaning difficulty maintaining sleep. Can you have both? Absolutely. Can you have just one or the other? Sure, of course. And so a lot of it um, is something that we need to tease out. Is it situational? Do you have an exam coming up? Are you worried about your family? You know, some sort of stressor versus is this how your sleep has been for years? And then we need to figure out, well, if it's difficulty maintaining sleep, what is it that is bumping you awake? Is it your legs driving you crazy? Is it sleep apnea? 
Is it something external? Is it the train? Is it your bed partner snoring? You know, it's really important to, to get down to it. I think, I think we are excellent rationalizers when it comes to sleep that, oh gosh, I'm tired. I will just go to bed earlier tonight. Um, and because it's so slow and gradual, it often has been going on for a really long time before we seek medical attention because we've just blown it off as, well, you know what, I'm working and I have children and I have this and I have that and I have all these things in my mind and I don't think it's important enough to, um, to have evaluated. And so oftentimes we're unraveling years worth of poor sleep. And a sleep study is the step to get there. Um, tell me more about that. If, if now uh, I have to go into a lab and a hospital or a freestanding center and it's in a strange place and I've got equipment hooked up to me, how can that be an accurate representation of what it's like for me at home? And, and that's exactly it. We get it. Get that it's a weird thing because there are a lot of wires and it is a strange environment. And I think at, at its core, sleep is very intimate. If we think about who we allow to see us sleep, it's people that we choose to. And so all of a sudden we're asking people to sleep in a sleep facility, a sleep lab with a total stranger watching them. And so we get that it's not, it's not necessarily going to be the same as your night at home. What we're looking for, though, is, is there something actionable? So most of the time when we're doing polysomnography or an in-lab sleep study, it's because we think that somebody might have obstructive sleep apnea or upper airways resistance or periodic limb moves of sleep or maybe REM sleep behavior disorder where they are acting out their dreams. So Earlier, when we had talked about REM sleep, where we have those wonderful watching a movie kind of dreams, our muscles are paralyzed so that we don't act out those dreams. If we get into this mode of REM sleep behavior disorder, if somebody has this disorder, they lose that muscle inhibition. So they are acting out their dreams. And that can be very dangerous for their bed partner, right? It can be dangerous for them. And so these are the things that we're looking at on the sleep study. So we completely get that it's not your normal night of sleep. Totally understand. And we joke about it, right? Because it is a weird thing. And so sometimes you just have to have a sense of humor and just go with the flow. You know, we've had people post pictures on Twitter <laughs> of themselves in the sleep lab. And, you know, you have to, you just kind of have to understand that it, um, it isn't meant to replicate your night at home. We're just looking to see if there's something that maybe is fragmenting your sleep that we can still pick up in that sleep study. Well, technology has come so far now I can do that sleep study at home. Mm -hmm. um, is the quality of that data as good? Is that an option I should take if I, it's offered to me? So the home sleep apnea test is only when we're looking for regular old obstructive sleep apnea. So none of the other things that we had discussed. If you ask the question, is a home sleep apnea test as good as an in-lab study? The answer is no. But... If you ask a question, is a home sleep apnea test good enough for regular obstructive sleep apnea? The answer is yes, with a little asterisk. So most of these tests are measuring airflow. They're measuring oxygen levels. And so we're looking for sleep apnea, but they don't have EEG leads. So we're not measuring your sleep. And so the way that we determine severity of sleep apnea is how many times you hold your breath divided by the hours of sleep. Okay. So events per hour of sleep. 
And so it's just math. If we don't know when you're asleep, we use the value of the whole recording time of the study, right? Which we know you're not asleep the whole time. And so home sleep apnea testing will underestimate what's happening. But again, if you have something objective on a home sleep apnea test and it tells us, hey, you're holding your breath 15 times an hour, that's actionable. Let's treat it. Now, if we brought you into the lab and it was 17 or 20, is that going to change anything? No. No, you know, we don't want people to be professional patients. It's we have something there. It fits. Let's treat you. Right. Let's see how you do. Uh, So what about uh, those home sleep trackers? There's the aura ring. There's a, a bracelet. I use a little app on a cell phone. Are those of any value? I actually love, (laughs) I love all of this technology because A, it makes people pay attention to their sleep. And then B, I think they're more vested in willing to improve their sleep. So if we ask a question, is it going to take over home sleep apnea testing? You know, at some point in the future, maybe, but as it sits right now, it's the data is just not strong enough to do that. Right. And so we take it with a grain of salt. And so often what I will ask my patients to do is when you wake up in the morning, you write down how you feel. How did you sleep? Not how your Fitbit told you you slept. And there's a, it's subtle, but there's a difference because if Fitbit says your sleep was really fragmented, then in your head, you're like, oh my gosh, my sleep was really fragmented. It must've been awful. Versus if you decide first, I think that's much more powerful. You know, I get what she's saying. I use an app called Sleep Score, and I use just the the simple free version. Now, I've learned not to look at it right when I wake up, because if it shows I had fragmented sleep or didn't get much deep sleep, well, it seems to affect my impression of what the day ahead could bring. I know it sounds silly, but it kind of sticks in your mind. Here are a few more sleep tidbits from Dr. Kosla. It is okay to sleep with a fan on or use a white noise generator. But if you rely on the TV to help you get to sleep, she recommends setting the TV sleep timer function. Why? Because your brain does pay attention to that stimulation and you can be awakened by TV programming. I mean, you don't want the my pillow guy interrupting your sleep, right? I've discovered there are dozens of YouTube channels with nothing but cricket sounds, gentle rain or beach sounds, and they help me get to sleep or fall back to sleep. These can be very helpful for people with tinnitus. It gives your brain a focus point rather than ringing in your ears. And of course, there's nothing quite like talk radio to help you get to sleep at night. I have many more questions about sleep. So how does alcohol and marijuana affect your sleep? What's the right way to use melatonin? Why does exercise during the day calm your brain at night? We'll have Dr. Kosla back to answer those questions. And if you have a question about sleep, visit the Health Call website at healthcall.live. Use the contact form. You might even join our mailing list and you'll receive one email a week to let you know who's coming up on the program. Hey, thanks for being part of our growing family of listeners. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Health Call Radio Hour. The discussion of conditions and treatments on this program is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional who knows you and your health needs. Find the podcast of today's episode wherever you get your podcasts or watch extended video versions of today's interviews on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. While you're there, drop us a line to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us each week on this station for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour.
Podcasts by Federated Media.